Hello and good morning, Church of the Beloved. It's really good to see all of you here. Um, this is going to be our first Sunday in over a year where we're going to be able to participate in communion together as a congregation in person, and I'm pretty excited about it. For those of you who are joining us online, uh, I'm going to ask you if you could, please have your communion elements uh, ready, the bread and the cup. Have it available so you can join with us in communion at the end of today's message. For those of you who are tuning in for the very first time, uh, this live stream is being broadcast to you in front of a, a live studio audience. I'm Pastor Ape. Uh, we're glad that you're joining us today, and we'd love to connect those of you who are first-time watchers, as well as those of you who have been our returning viewers who are feeling isolated, disconnected. We'd love to get you connected with our church family, so I'm going to ask you if you could just text COTB to 97000. Or you can go to our website, cotv.life. You can just tap the uh, connect with us button and we'll do that. Uh, I want to mention Memorial Day is fast approaching, which means that summer is almost here. Uh, one of my coworkers in my day job sent me a, a picture, a meme, uh, explaining to me that Chicago actually has 12, not four, seasons. We have winter, fool's spring, second winter, then the spring of deception, third winter, then the pollening uh, for your, anyway, uh, actual spring, summer, then hell's front porch. We have false fall, second summer, and then actual fall, and we come back to winter. And if I'm not mistaken, right now we're about to enter the pollening, and so if you have allergies, I'm really sorry for you. Regardless, I think, I hope, winter is done. Um, I hope. I'll tell you, we had such a good time when we met in person at a, on our Easter picnic that plans have already been uh, beginning to be made to have another picnic on Memorial Day weekend. This time we're hoping to have it closer to the Wicker Park area. So if you'd like to join our COTB planning, party planning committee thing, just inf uh, send an email to info at cotb.life. We'd love to have your help. I want to mention one more thing really quickly before we get into today's message. This Saturday, May uh, 8th at 11 a.m., we're going to have a congregational meeting for all the regular attenders of the Church of the Beloved. It's only going to be an hour long, and I'll talk more about what the agenda is going to look like at the end of today's service, but please, I'm going to ask if you could mark your calendars uh, for Saturday, May 8th, uh, at, from 11 to 12 o'clock. It's going to be over Zoom. So now, Let's have you, would you join with me as we pray. Pray to our sovereign God. I want to dedicate this time to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, we appreciate you. We, we love you. We adore you, God. We, we bow down before you. And may the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone. And may this time be edifying to your beloved children and a sweet fragrant incense to you, O God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. I'll tell you, this is our fourth week of our Epistle of Joy sermon series. And uh, next week, I'm going to be taking a bit of a break, a short break uh, from Philippians. And Pastor Otua is going to be taking us through a very short three-week sermon series himself. He's doing this as he finishes his tenure with our church and moves on to start something new and exciting, the hard work of planting a new church in Chicago. It's going to be based on Jesus' goodbye uh, as relayed in the book of John. 
I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, I'm personally very excited to see and hear what God has to share through Atua. And I'm also really uh, excited to see what God has in store for David uh, as he gathers his core team to advance the gospel here in Chicago. He was, he's not going to be doing it alone. Uh, we will be walking with him side by side all along the way in prayer and encouragement. But that's something I get to look forward to for the next, in the next three weeks. I want to provide a little context, a little backstory uh, on where we are on this epistle of joy. This, uh, do a recap, a quick recap of the last three weeks in Philippians. Uh, week one, I presented the joy formula. Jesus, others, you. you. Love Jesus first, then others next, and that will equal your joy. Week two, we preached on how Paul loved Jesus first, and in his, his example in so doing, the gospel was elevated, his sisters and his brothers were encouraged, and he was ultimately eclipsed. In week three, last week, no fancy alliteration or acronym. It's just a single point, a simple point. The main point of last week's message was this. The fruit of living for Christ, it is the progress and the joy of your sister and your brother in their faith. Because ultimately, we are called to strive together for the gospel. We're called to walk side by side, to jump into the pit together, to grab onto each other and say, hey, I've been here before. I know the way out. Let's do this together. Uh, now that we're caught up in it, I'll tell you, I, I think I watched too much TV because when I was preparing today's message, um, writing up this recap, in my head I had like this TV announcer voice going previously on COTV's live stream. Uh, and having the cameras and, and that mindset and this live studio audience, I, it's just too TV-like. But uh, anyway, I want to get to today's passage and today's message. And as we dive deeper into what I want to focus on for today, I want to be very honest with you all here. This is not where I expect it to be. I'll tell you that this is not something I ever desired or sought. I, being a pastor of a church, that was never my life's passion or hope. Honestly, it's exactly the opposite of what I had always intended for myself because I grew up as the eldest son of a Korean pastor, a dad whose life was wholly dedicated and devoted to ministry. He moved from Korea to America specifically because that was what he wanted to do. He wanted to preach. His friends nicknamed him John or Johan uh, after John the Baptist when he was just a kid because that's what he's always wanted. And that was something I never wanted as a result. You know, folks would come up to me and ask, hey, are you going to become a pastor just like your dad? Heck no, no, never. Such, so not what I want to do. So being in this place, being called to this role, hearing and obeying this call to serve as a, the pastor, the shepherd of this church, it's not where I expect it to be. And, and as I started to dive deeper into today's passage, I, I was praying, God, please, please, open my eyes, put in my heart whatever message it is you have called me to, to deliver to your, your beloved children. The, the thought that kept coming in my mind was this, I didn't want this. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a social worker who turned into a software guy. I am so unqualified for this job. I am not humble enough for this job. I'm not smart enough for this job. I'm not nice enough for this job. My wife is. I am so not. My friend told me there's a special place in hell for those of you who preach the gospel incorrectly, and I didn't want that either. 
And as my mind started to spiral into this negative headspace, basically I was doom scrolling in my brain versus on Twitter or YouTube. The one question that kept coming back to me through this entire process as preparing for this is, God, how am I supposed to shepherd this church? And I mention all this because I'll tell you this, God is amazing. God, amazing. God is good all the time and all the time God is good because he cut through the noise and he reminded me, he told me this passage is not intended just for you. It's for me as well. Because the answer to my question, the secret to how to effectively shepherd this church is the answer that God, through Paul, gives to us in this passage. This passage explains to us how we're called to live our lives as the beloved of God because of Christ alone. God reminded me that being a shepherd for Christ means being a follower of Christ. To lead the beloved, I need to remember that I am beloved too. Because you see, to live as the beloved of God, and this is the point for today's passage, we need to understand that Christian humility results from a Christ mentality that leads to a Christ-like ecstasy or joy. Christian humility results from a Christ mentality that leads to a Christ-like ecstasy. Let me explain and dive deeper into those three ideas. First of all, what do I mean by, by Christian humility? Because, you know, it sounds like it might be a little bit of an arbitrary distinction that I'm making. Now, isn't being humble just being humble? Eh, maybe, but I don't think so. I think I believe Christ-like or Christian humility, it truly understands that I will count others as more significant than myself. A Christian humility will do nothing out of selfish ambition. A Christian humility works towards the progress of my sister's and my brother's faith, not just my own. If you think about it, I think most folks are aware of examples of unchristian humility. There's the humble brag type of humility, like, oh, I lost so much weight, my, lo- my life is so hard, I have to buy a whole new wardrobe, or, or my arms are hurting so much because I have to lift this huge, humongous diamond engagement ring that I just got from my fiance, or I'm so tired from having to preach to these packed out rooms all the time. I would say that most folks would agree, these are not really great examples of Christian humility. there's another type of, uh, I call it swarmy type of humility. I'm not saying salespeople are bad, but a lot of salespeople that I've met have that swarminess. They just seem to exude a humility that's not really genuine. It's like they're overly nice or overly accommodating to to the point of always like martyring themselves. Oh, I'll let you have it your way because I will die to myself. It's all about you. I feel like that's another example of bad Humility, not necessarily Christ-like. Christian humility is a humility that's modeled after Christ. If you turn to verses 6 to 8 in today's passage, it says this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is also fully God. Jesus went from the highest point to the lowest because of the love he has for you and for me. 
Christ's selfless love is expressed in that most selfless act. Jesus' deity is expressed in his devotion. His, his divinity is demonstrated by his deference to the Father. Because love is what drove Jesus to the cross. He didn't consider his rights as the supreme being as something that he needed to cling to. He, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might have his righteousness replace our unrighteousness. You know, C.S. Lewis described how a fallible and fallen Christian might take on this type of Christian humility in his book, Mere Christianity. And this is my summarization of it. Basically, Lewis said, fake it till you make it. Okay, I'll tell you, I graduated from, with a master of social work and for the first part of my professional career, I worked as a social worker. I, I, I'd been uh, um, trained to provide therapeutic services, work with foster children, investigating abuse, those kinds of things. The second part of my professional career, somehow I ended up getting a job as a software consultant for a startup in San Francisco. This was at the start of the century back in 2000, 2001, and I, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I was absolutely, consulting is, is not like therapy, well, it's a little bit like therapy, but, but software and social work, they are not the same thing at all. So I faked it. I knew that I did not know what I was doing, so I pretended, and I pretended hard through my life. I, I used to have really long hair and a very eclectic sense of fashion. I had no fashion sense. And, and so I worked that angle. When I figured that if I had this Einstein level of unkempt hair, which I did, and just looked a little crazy, which I did, I would show up on my uh, project sites with like ripped jeans, no shoes, crazy hair. I just thought my clients will assume that I must have been hired because I'm some sort of genius because there's no way they would be hiring him otherwise. And it worked. Because eventually my company, they actually created a division just for me. It was called special ops and my job was just to go around fixing things. Because I faked it until I made it. See, what, when C.S. Lewis wrote, he wrote that when we start pretending to be like Jesus, we will discover how we are not like Jesus. And in the process of our pretense, we are prompted to obey I am not negating the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It is so necessary, but I'm pointing out that there is a participation on our part in that transformation. We're called to a Christian humility that emulates the example of Christ, the example he set while he was on this planet, a humility that is driven by love for those created in the image of God, not driven by a prioritization of myself. So, so we strive to live a humble life that emulates, that mirrors Jesus. We fake it till we make it. Because when we decide, which is that, what that is, when we decide to act out of faith that the change will come and the Spirit will transform, we end up allowing the change to come and the Spirit to transform. The second point I really want to make today is that Christian humility results from a Christ mentality. Verse 5, it says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I want to read a few other translations of this same verse. Uh, the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible says it this way. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. Uh, the New Living Translation says it this way. You must have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. New American Standard Bible, have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. And I like the Christian Standard Bible's version. It's simply adopt the same attitude 
as that of Christ Jesus. See, Christian humility, it is evidenced by our actions. Putting the needs of others before my own, loving my neighbors, serving the poor, shouting out for the voiceless, these are the external manifestations of our internal machinations. But Paul instructs his friends in Philippi to focus on the attitude so that they might live out the action. Jesus gave the same instruction himself when he explained that sin happens here in our heart as much as it does here in our hands. He, said, he's, he told them, don't, you don't commit adultery merely by having sex with somebody other than your spouse. You commit adultery when you allow that desire to fester in your heart to have sex with somebody other than your spouse. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus explains that it's from the heart that evil is inspired. Dirty hands don't defile, a stained heart does. And Paul's focus here is that we are to have a Christ mentality, a Jesus mindset, our Savior's attitude, so that we might live out a Christian humility. If you're in sales, in the sales world, it's much easier to to know what to say or how to respond to questions when you believe in the product you're selling. When you understand the goal, the mindset of the product, the purpose for it, questions that might come up, it's just you, you know how to respond. When I got my first iPhone, for example, it was easy for me to talk about it because I used to love Apple, used to, because I understood that their goal was to make ex- the experience better. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't about giving me access to all that technology afforded me. It was about giving me an amazing experience when interacting with that technology. It was. I don't know if it is so much anymore. Anyway, getting to the heart of, of, of and the attitude and the mindset of a thing allows for a contextualized application. For example, Paul wrote in uh, his letter to Thessalonica that for them a Christ mentality meant faithfully suffering for the gospel as Christ has suffered. It's in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. In Corinth, a Christ mentality meant not exercising rights within the church when to do so would cause another stumbling or destruction. In Philippi, a Christ mentality contextualized meant being loving, striving side by side, humble, willing to put the interests of others before one's own. Having a Christ mentality, adopting the same attitude as Jesus allows us to live a life that shines Christ's love in our context, in our world, in our community, in our church, in our family. It allows for a Christian humility that results from having a Christ mentality. And and I want to take a moment right now and ask you to consider this. Christian humility results from a Christ mentality, and a Christ mentality allows me to embody the attitude and the mindset of Christ in such a way that I can contextualize, I can apply Christ's love to my situation so I can live out Christ's humility in my world. Are you doing that? Are, are you so in tune with the things of God that you're able to apply the love of Jesus for those who are around you now? A Christ mentality, a, an attitude or a mindset of Jesus that we are called to copy is this. It is simply love for those created in the image of God. 
It is this love for those that I call my sisters and my brothers that makes me want to, need to consider them more significant than myself. And, and this mindset, this humility, ultimately will bring me joy. Or Christian humility results from a Christ mentality that leads to a Christ-like ecstasy, which is my third point for today. In verse 9, it says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. You see, the humble obedience of the Son of God, who is simultaneously fully God, his obedience to the Father in heaven, this obedience to the point of death on the cross. Before I go on, I want to take a slight tangent. I, I think it's important to reiterate this. When I was reading this, it just dawned on me. When Paul writes that Jesus is obedient even to death on the cross, I started to consider why it is he makes mention of this very specific thing. Jesus being willing to die for the sake of those he loved, maybe it wasn't going to necessarily be that surprising or that impressive. If I were to die for my wife, or if you were to give your life for someone you cared about, your significant other, your child, your cat, these would be inspiring sacrifices. People would appreciate them, but they necessarily wouldn't be surprised by it. But when Paul writes, even to the point of death on a cross, that's significant because there was no more painful, no more shameful way to die. I'm not going to go into details of what that looked like, nor am I going to try to find an analogy of what crucifixion is in the modern context because I truly don't believe there is anything that's remotely similar. But if you pause and consider the original context, Jesus was obedient to his father, not just to the point of death, but to the point of the most brutal, most punishing, most shameful, most painful way to die. And this is the level of humility that we have before us as our example. So the humble obedience of the Son of God, who is simultaneously fully God, to the Father in heaven. This obedience to the point of death on the cross It wasn't because Jesus wanted all the fame, power, and glory. No, Christian humility results from a Christ mentality and Jesus humbly obeyed to death because he loves you, because he wants to spend eternity with you. But the end result of this is God taking the initiative and exalting the Son. Not because Jesus sought it, but because God brought it. God brought Jesus joy. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, the Father will make every knee bow and proclaim Christ as Lord. Therefore, Yahweh will bring Jesus joy. God brings about joy because of Christ's actions and his attitude. God brings about joy because of Jesus' heart and his humility. And this same joy, the same opportunity is what's being made available to us. In Matthew, the Beatitudes tell us that the poor will receive the upside-down kingdom of God. Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. The persecutor will be rewarded in heaven. So rejoice. Be glad. Because this world is not my home, but while I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can to seek out to live a life of Christian humility that's based on a Christ mentality that will bring me to a Christ-like ecstasy. I'll tell you, and 
to serve as your pastor is an awesome responsibility. It's a great privilege as well. And one, similar to Moses before Pharaoh, I feel wholly ill-equipped to fulfill it. And some of you might agree with that. That's fine. But I understand that my call to be a shepherd for Christ means that I need to be a follower of Christ with you. I get that my call to lead the beloved is to remember that I am beloved like you. So I am going to seek to live out a Christian humility that is based on a Christ mentality that will hopefully bring us all to a Christ-like ecstasy.